You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ace special edition of the turf show times radio podcast we are coming at you twice in one week as opposed to our normal once uh today we are actually pleased to be joined from the ventura county star a man who most rams fans will will know by name um and likely hopefully are following at this point uh, Mr. Joe Curley. Joe, thanks for taking time out of your day to join us. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. And as always, my co-host, Mr. Mycin Adiasor. How you doing today, Mycin? Doing good, doing good. Just got done with a good workout, feeling energetic. Yeah, it's going to be a good night. Okay, so Joe, we're going we're gonna to ease you in on something simple, man. As, as a matter of fact... It's kind of Ram-related, but it was something we opened our podcast with last night, and we kind of want to see if you're in line with us. So I am sure that, much like the rest of NFL Twitter, you've seen the graphs or the graphic or the, you know, the JPEG flying around of quarterbacks uh, the year they were drafted and the team that moved up to get them with the accompanying, with a variation of the accompanying words. Is it worth it to move up to draft for a quarterback? I'm, I'm sure you've seen this by now. Um, I heard you guys talk about it. Oh, okay. I wasn't yeah, sure if ESPN's written a couple articles on it and tweeted it a couple times, so I just assumed that like everyone's seen it at this point because I've seen it like a dozen different variations. Um, I'll try to find it, but yeah, I can talk about it. Um, well, the basic idea is this. You've, you've um, got a, a long list of guys on there, who, uh, some of whom were successful, uh, most of whom were a bust, and then there's a smattering of guys that had high points and low points in their career, but overall were mostly maybe backup material. Uh, what are, what uh, Mycin and I argued was that this is one of the stupidest graphics being put around. Uh, it doesn't account for the development team that was there when the quarterback was drafted. It doesn't account for the structure uh, in place around the quarterback 
or the team's dedication to placing the quarterback in successful positions. Uh, it doesn't account for so many different things. It just To narrow it down and say, oh, X franchise shouldn't have moved up for a quarterback, which is why this is somewhat related to the Rams, because it rarely works out. I just don't think that it logically follows. Where do you come down on that? I'm just looking at it right now. Um, <laughs> it's pretty hysterical. I just love the term naturally selected. So is that like, <laughs> so is that like you know, is that, um, is it uh, evolution that picked the quarterback so you didn't have to trade up for? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of, I wouldn't call it stupid, but it's just kind of silly because, um, you know, I don't. I think it's kind of. I don't think it can. You, you can't really have a. So I mean, for it to for this to matter, you you have to be saying that basically teams that are desperate enough to trade up are bad place. You know, didn't have good situations for their for their quarterbacks that maybe were desperate. I mean, I think that's maybe one way that you can make sense of that information. But uh, you know, it's to me, it's you know, like you're saying, every individual situation is. Um, is different, and you know, just because the you know, I, I there might be more pressure on a quarterback that the t- you know a team has given up additional draft picks for. You're talking about the investment being uh, large, you know, larger. So maybe there's kind of a you know a pressure um, situation. But I, I certainly don't think this is going to affect Jared Goff. I mean, whether or not Jared Goff has success in the NFL. Um, is going to be based on what the Rams put around him, how he, um, you know, transitioned to the the new uh, systems, and uh, you know the type of job that all the coaches they put around him do. You know, the fact that they gave up some some draft picks. Um, yeah, I have an issue with the golf trade too because people refer to it refer to Rams of giving up six draft picks for him. Well, weren't like two or three of those draft picks were upgraded. Right, you know, in that situation. So it's the, the Rams didn't give up six draft picks to Jared Goff. It was part of a nine-pick trade where you know multiple picks were downgraded, multiple, multiple multiple picks were upgraded. I mean, it's really, you know, to me the big the big nut they gave up was the was you know what they didn't um, you know end up getting uh, you know this time around, which is probably Mike Williams or you know, somebody um, you know somebody good with that first pick, but. If Jared turns out to be the quarterback they needed, you know, and it will work out. It's all going to be, you know, the, that entire trade. Then you get the other graphics where you get all the players that the, you know, the all the players that were picked with subsequent picks, and and it ends up being one big equation. And so people can look at it and say Goff on one side, and all these players for tight for for Tennessee on the other side. And I don't really think that's kind of a fruitful endeavor either, because you know. Because you know needs are you would much rather have if you have the quarterback, you know that's what you need. If you don't have the quarterback, you know, that's what you have to go get. So I think um, you know it all depends on on how Jared this whole thing lays and how Jared um, develops. And and I think he's you know I think he's in a good position going forward. They certainly have invested in that receiving core. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. I want I want to expand upon that because there's a lot of talk 
in the offseason is about how bad Goff has been. And we've talked about that, too. But it's also time to turn the page. Let's look at what has come in. I mean, there can be no mistaking that quarterback development was not the highest priority in Fisher Ball. The same cannot be said of Matt LaFleur and his approach. We're talking about two different coaches who value two different things. So Matt LaFleur steps in and, you know, we talked with SB Nation NFL writer Jana Thomas, who also covers uh, the Falcons for the Falcoholic, and she talked about the turnaround that Matt Ryan had simply because of the mechanical uh, tweaks that LaFleur was able to uh, uh, push through with Ryan uh, with regard to his game. And obviously one of the, the first things that they're going to devote their time to is improving Goff, improving his mechanics, and improving some of the things that he did wrong last year. Um, how much do you think the acquisition of Lafleur will be beneficial to Goff in the long term? Uh, I mean, I think it's the entire coaching staff. It's they, it's Lafleur, it's Greg Olson, it's the entire group. You know, you're talking about three play callers working with Jared on a daily basis. I mean, they've certainly invested and, you know, they've certainly invested in Jared Goff and, you know, they've certainly surrounded him with what he needs to be successful um, in terms of the coaching staff. And I think maybe that was, you know, when you look at last year and you, you know, you want to talk about, you know, the negative season that he had as a rookie, um, you know, I put Jared's performance far down the list, um, of the Rams woes, you know, um, we're going to find out this year if it was coaching last year or if it was the receiving core or if it was the offensive line. You know, there's all these variables that are adding up to just how pathetic the offense was last year. And so, you know, the, the coaching variable has been changed. Um, the offensive line variable has been altered slightly, but not completely changed. The receiving core, you're talking about a team that drafted seven receivers slash tight ends in nine draft picks over a two-year span, right? The four guys last year in the um, – was it – wait, they had the four guys last year and another three guys this year. So seven of nine picks. Um, so they certainly have made that investment. We'll see if they've drafted the right guys. They certainly need to make needed to make that investment because it was – you know, arguably the worst receiving core in football. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't – I would Rams, I wouldn't give up on Jared Goff just based on what you saw last year. I think there's a long way to go. Oh, no, 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 no. That wasn't the intention of that. I'm actually trying to look at the positives moving forward and just thinking, you know, you get a guy like Lafleur in there who's going to work with him consistently as a QB coach and, and sort of bring him along – uh, even though he's an OC, uh, it's the positive. Like a lot of Rams fans have been saying, is there's really nowhere for Goff to go but up. And the Rams, for the first time in a long time, have a diverse set of receivers instead of a whole bunch of guys that are basically the same. 
as you've brought up, they have addressed the offensive line. The signing of Whitworth alone is is worth its weight in gold. So there's every reason, and 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 you know, I I personally think that it might not be making noise now, but signing Justin Davis, I think he makes the team as an undrafted free agent. I truly do. I mean, uh, there's certainly, um, you know, the, when McVeigh comes in, you know, he's looking to basically re- remake the entire skill position group. You know, he's remade the, the receivers. You've got basically everybody but Tavon uh, and Marquez are, are first or second year players. You've got now the, the running backs, you know, obviously you, you've got Todd, you've got Gurley, but you've, you know, they, and they bring in the kid from, from Dallas, but they, you know, they, they, there is a spot on this team for a versatile, um, you know, kind of skilled back who can play behind uh, the quarterback, you know, who can play in the backfield, but also can, can flex out and can play, um, you know, can play in the slot and, and catch the ball. And, you know, s- similar to a couple of guys they used in Washington the last couple of years. Um, I think that's kind of an issue. You know, you talked coming out of the draft. It was interesting what positions they, they chose uh, to address and what other positions they chose not to address. I think one of the things I was surprised about is they didn't go out and get, you know, that kind of versatile running back. So it certainly leaves, um, you know, leaves a uh, um, an opportunity for somebody like Justin Davis. But, uh, you know, um, you know, he, he, the, the problems with Dave, with him is that I don't. The reason I don't think he was drafted is because he may have been the worst pass blocker in the entire draft class, and he had some issues with fumbling. And there's not a lot of opportunity. He, he didn't really get to show much as a pass receiver. So there's a lot. You know, he he was one of the more elusive backs in the entire draft. But I think he, he has some flaws that he needs to. Sh- in, in order for him to make this team. He's got to show he can pass block. He's got to show he can catch the ball. And, you know, there's a lot of bodies for that spot. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, a guy, I re- you know, obviously you got Dunbar and and, um, and Gurley. But behind that, I really like Malcolm Brown. You know, I think he's got some potential. You know, Green is still around. Um, Actually, besides that, and you get the two fullbacks. There's actually not a lot there. You're talking about really a three-way battle between Brown and Green and Davis. So maybe there is some some real opportunity for for another USC guy in this team. You know, I you know I was talking about this last night when we were just discussing Justin Davis, and I actually thought he was a a, a pretty decent um, pass blocker. Um, earlier on when he had more opportunity, I know, you know, between some injuries and things like that, you know, he, he didn't see the field as often. And then, you know, you had the, uh, the young kid really come on and really steal Ronald. the show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he Ronald right. Jones, you know, he, he came on and really stole the show, you know, so he didn't have as much opportunity, but early on, um, you know, in his USC career, I thought he was a pretty decent pass blocker. And I think when, um, when, examining Justin Davis, you know, that's kind of what you have to go by as the, the, the early showings, because you didn't really hit you. There's not as much film on him True. over the past year because of injuries. And then Ronald just coming out of nowhere and, you know, really still in the show. Um, 
do you think that there's any chance that when you're talking about a Justin Davis and you know, you, you see these guys kind of pop up out of nowhere every year, these undrafted guys who for whatever reason goes undrafted and, you know, is added as the thought is pure depth, but somehow ends up playing, playing a bigger role. Do you think there's any chance that he can play a bigger role and, you know, Dunbar who was also brought in, you know, he might be able to t- mm. take some of the from him. Well, that I'll tell you right now, that role is going, you know, they're going to find somebody to play that role, you know, whether it's this year or halfway through this year, at some point, you know, there's going to be a weapon in that position in the same way that you knew they were going to go out and get a Gerald Everett. You knew they were going to go out and get a, um, you know, get a versatile, you know, downfield tight end threat. You, you know, they are going to get, um, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, can be in the backfield and catch passes. And it's part of that. You know, the funny thing about it is they, the, the fullback from, from Virginia tech is the, the one running back they added who has those skills. So maybe yes. it ends up being Sam Rogers. Um, but, you know, I mean, in terms of Davis, honestly, I didn't see a ton of, you know, I, I didn't like break down film to look at Davis as a pass blocker, but I know that pro football focus rated him, you know, when the, on their numbers, they had him of the 25 backs in the, in the, in the class that they rated, he was dead last in pass blocking efficiency. So maybe that was just his senior year, um, which is probably the case actually. 207 snaps passing plays. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, certainly there's, there's a spot for a third back on this team. And I think there's a spot for somebody, you know, maybe not, you know, in the beginning, but by the end of the year to beat out Dunbar, um, you know, that they want that position uh, to, you know, to produce in his offense. And I, I just, I'm not sure they have that player yet, which is, you know, another key point. You know, you know, we say over and over again, you can't fill every hole, you know, in one draft class. And especially this team was never, this is not a one-year turnaround. This was not a one-off season fix. So if they didn't fill that spot, you know, this off season, then, you know, certainly it'll go up to the top of the priority level next off season. You know, I'm, uh, I'm going to go back a little bit on the uh, question, but I know you mentioned, you know, using seven draft picks on uh, pass catchers between the last two drafts, which is a lot. Yeah. And when you really look at the depth chart right now, yeah, <laughs> you don't you don't see that happen very often. And when you look at the depth chart yeah. right now, it is uh, definitely crowded. <laughs> when you look at the tight end position as well yeah. as the receiver position, just overall pass catchers is is really crowded. But when you look at the picks that was made over the past two drafts, is it fair to question if they really went out and got, you know, some playmakers and difference makers at the at the receiver and tight end position, considering that those picks, a lot of them came in the fourth round or later? Right. Well, you got to like, um, you know, I think you got to feel decently positive about the Higby pick. Obviously, you know, that's you know the, the but you know that is a lot of draft capital at least you know first of all you got to give them credit for for looking at that position and saying you know we got to fix this for recognizing their weakness and 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 going after it the problem is is obviously with the golf trade you know you're fixing that problem before you're fixing the receiving problem um and so that's why you know you didn't have a two you didn't have a three last year and so you're picking at the you know you're picking at the tail end of the draft 
Um, and so it's going to be really interesting how this, like you said, this um, depth chart at the bottom end of the depth chart really uh, shakes out because, you know, you're going to have players who are playing for their, you know, in their second year playing for, for spots on the team, Cooper and, um, and Thomas and, and some of the, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Spruce, um, you know, because of that unfortunate injury, he was never able to really show anything in the regular season, which puts him behind the eight ball. And then they go and they add three more receivers, um, which, you know, look at, I was actually going to ask Wes Mead, you know, if he, if, if fans can look at the fact that they used three, you know, three of their top four picks this year, um, after they had used four picks last year, you know, as like a, um, you know, a sign that maybe they weren't happy with who they drafted last year, or, you know, maybe a, a mark against his drafting, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, record. But when you look at it, really the three guys that they drafted this year, just basically replaced the three guys they lost. They lost, um, you know, obviously, uh, um, quick and they lose Kenny Britt and you lose Lance Kendricks and really um you know that's those three bodies basically replace you know they're basically one for one um replacements so that's how I look you know I, I end up not asking the question because you know I, I ended up seeing that you know maybe those that's just what they were thinking they were trying to you know fill those excuse me they're trying to fill those spots um that they had lost. And so, you know, that's another way you got to look at, you know, the receiving core, you got all these young guys, the receiving core may get worse before it can get better. You know, cause you got a lot of guys that have a lot to learn in a, in a, um, you know, in a very short span of time. And, uh, thank you, know, you so maybe, much for saying that. That's one way to do I tried saying this on Twitter and I tried saying this last night's pot on last night's podcast. And people didn't seem to understand what I was saying. I'm like, it, it may get worse before it gets better because people are learning a brand new system. They're adapting to a new Rookie. quarterback. Yeah, some of these guys are adapting to a new quarterback. Others of these guys have worked with Jared Goff last year. But there wasn't a lot of holdover at the receiver position. Jared Goff never really had a rapport with any of the guys you see there. Tyler Higby obviously needs to have a much more involved sophomore campaign, though it was always unrealistic to expect big things from him as a rookie. With that... going Going into the draft, you're looking at that receiving core, and you're looking at what they have at tight. You knew they were going to draft a tight end because Tyler Higby, from week one to week sixteen, basically gave you nothing. But and I know that Bryson has has, has has about has about the tight end. Yeah, I mean, with me, my what I look at. Tyler Higby, first off, let me clarify. I'm a huge fan of the Tyler Higby pick last year. Sure. I was a huge fan of the Tyler Higby pick last year. You know, um, I personally thought that he was the uh the, the second number two tight end in the draft. Um and the only reason he ended up going when he did is because of off field issues. Of course. You know, so of course. So I was a huge fan of the pick. I thought he was a second round tight end. 
Uh, I don't think it, had he not had off field issues, I don't think that anyone would have bat- batted eyelash had a team picked him in the second round. You know, uh, if anything, they probably would have graded it very well. You know, so I'm a huge fan of yeah, the pick, and I, I didn't. I, yeah, absolutely. I didn't really expect too much out of him as a rookie because, as we talk about a lot of them on the show, tight end is outside of quarterback, probably the hardest position to transition from. You know, you just don't see tight ends coming to the NFL and have success as rookies. You know, it's just it doesn't happen. Um, so, and, and then you add in the fact that he was he was hurt for the majority of his rookie season, so it, you don't really ex- right. you don't expect to see a lot going on there now. Considering that what you know when he was coming into the draft, what you was able to see in college, you know he's a, a legitimate receiving tight end, a playmaker that's very explosive. Uh, so that 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 alone makes me say, hey, you know, you got Sean McVay coming in, who's a um, really good tight ends coach who loves using the tight ends. You know, this could be a big big season for um, for Tyler Higby. But then you know that they're going to obviously bring in another tight end. I think, as you said, that was 100% expected. I'm also a big fan of Tamara mm-hmm. Hemingway, however. You know, a huge fan of his as well. I think mm-hmm. that I think that they have they had already in place two good tight ends, but they still had to bring in another because of the the first off, Sean McVay likes to run three tight ends more than anyone. <laughs> so, you know, no, it doesn't happen often in the NFL, but he likes to do it. You know, so you know they're going to draft someone, but then they bring in Gerald Everett, and that's when the alarm kind of went off. It was like, um, you know, to me, it was very Brian Quick esque <laughs> um, because he's very raw. Uh, you know, he comes from the smaller school. Um, I think, you know, he had a lot of issues with drops, uh, in college. Um, it's going to be a huge transition, uh, just coming from the level of competition to the NFL. And then as mentioned, you know, tight end is a very hard position to, it's not uh, like he to, put to up numbers anyhow. Yeah. You know, it, 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 so it's, it's a lot of question marks there, you know, and I understand the pick because of a uh, system wise and that's the biggest thing, you know, you guys, you want guys that's going to, you know, fit, you know, you don't want to just grab anyone, you know, grab a square and try to throw them into a circle shape, you know, that doesn't make sense, you know, right. so you want to grab guys that fit, and considering the system that McVay runs, it makes sense on that end, but just the player himself, there's a lot, I, have a, I had a lot of questions that kind of made me step back and say, is this the right move for the Rams? Right. Well, the fun, funny you bring up um, you know, kind of an, I don't know if I want to label the, the opinion negative, but the thing about it is Gerald Everett was actually somebody who I kind of circled. Um, you know, I, I thought they might pick the Ohio state center in the, in the third or fourth round, you know, the kid that ended up going to Minnesota. Um, offline. Everett was somebody I, yeah, Everett was somebody I, I tweeted before the draft as somebody they might target, uh, in the second or third. And so I thought it was, you know, they said after in the, in the post, in the post press conference that they would have drafted him at 37 if they weren't able to move down. So obviously, I mean, I think it's interesting. Sneed basically, you know, said, this is his, you know, this is uh, Sean's pick, you know, this was, you know, it's obviously Sean McVay's first draft pick uh, as Rams head coach and why not let him have his guy. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, really fitting when you, you know, when, you know, his whole career is based on what he did with tight ends in Texas and in Washington. That's how he, you know, he kind of came to the forefront as a, as a coach and it led him to the Rams. So I think it's kind of fitting that he ends up picking a tight end. Um, And again, you know, we're not going to judge Gerald Everett 
based on what he does in week one against Indianapolis. We're going to judge Gerald Everett on the player he becomes in 2018, 19, you know, certainly, you know, coach McVay has circled him as a player that, that they're going to build on for the future. Um, but it's just another example of why you can't get all excited about this team winning a whole bunch of games this year. If they're, you know, their entire receiving core is Tavon Austin, who might be moving to a different, um, you know, uh, a role, you know, a, a free agent they brought in, in in Robert Woods, you know, all these young guys who are in their first or second year in the NFL. So, I mean, the entire receiving core um, is in transition, which is good because you certainly don't want to keep what you've had. But, um, you know, it's going to take some time. Well, we're going to find out just how good an offensive coach and offensive coaches these guys are. Uh, oh, I agree. Up 30 points, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the, you know, if they go out and put 30 points up against the Colts, then, you know, maybe they'll shut it all up. But, it, you know, I'm certainly going to have patience with this offense because I know what you guys have been watching the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you when you say um, we're going to find out how good they are because the one thing that stands out to me the most is there's no real savvy veteran on the offense, uh, skill position wise. Mm. You know, there, there's none. You know, you, you brought in Andrew Whitworth, yeah. which in John Sullivan, which is huge for the offensive line because of what they bring they, mentally. They need it, yeah. You know, they, they they what they bring mentally is huge on the offensive line. But when you look at the skill positions, no matter what part of the field you're looking at, tight end, receiver, running back, quarterback, there's no savvy veteran anywhere. <laughs> you know, so guys are uh, they're they're learning they're learning on the go, and um, they, I agree with you. I think yeah. it's really going to show what type of staff this is. Yeah, the funny thing is that how many years in a row have we talked about the Rams being one of the youngest teams or the youngest team in the NFL? And they've had all this turnover, and the turn the players they've gotten they've turned over are the vets. You know, a lot of those you know Fisher veterans are the guys that have been shown the door, and you know they've been smart enough, you know, to at least you know bring in better, you know, to bring in some vet guys like a Whitworth. Like, you know, I wonder if you can even consider uh, Robert Woods to be a veteran in his fifth year. But you know, they they brought in some experienced guys to fill the holes left by those those experienced guys but i thought that's why i I thought they might hang on to kendrick's um just so they weren't turning over all these older guys but yeah we're it's going to be another year of the young rams learning yeah absolutely josh what do you sorry about yeah um i have myself on mute there sorry about that all right so now we transition to golf in the in the new look offense. What do you think we're likely to see? I mean, it's it's too early to to make any rapport predictions, but one would have to think that Josh Reynolds is going to be able to come in and compete right away for that primary wide receiver position. In fact, a lot have speculated that, that the, the receiving core will end up being Reynolds, Cup, Woods, and Austin. Uh, is that kind of how you see it shaking out after all is said and done? I mean, knowing the tight ends will get in there, but we just discussed them, so let's let's leave them out of this one. Well, I mean, I did say that those three, you know, you're talking about, you know, the, the receivers they lost being, 
you know, three of their most, you know, productive receivers. And I did say they were being replaced by these draft picks. So, you know, they certainly need, um, you know, Reynolds or I actually like McRoberts. You know, he might be able to develop into something and give you something this year as an outside receiver. But, you know, um, you know, that, you know, you lose your two big outside guys. I mean, they're those, you know, those are certainly uh, Cooper Cup, you know, people looking at him as the slot guy eventually you know he's certainly somebody who's versatile enough he can play inside and out depending on what they want to run and, and you know obviously they're going to be like we said uh running a lot of two three tight end sets so you know the offense is going to look different the personnel groupings are going to look different you, you might have their you know you might have some 13 personnel and stuff like that um so you know but again that you know i think that's what you know that the opportunity is there for josh reynolds to immediately go out in the field and, and be that player. And, um, you know, he's just got to, or I maybe, you know, I think it may be Tavon to start because that, you know, I, I think this is the year that, you know, they're hoping to transition Tavon into, um, you know, some has said that, uh, what was that? You know, you got Jackson and, and Garcon and that's going to be Tavon and Woods in this offense. So, um, but certainly the opportunity is there. If uh, if Reynolds shows early in in camp and and produces in the preseason to to carve himself out some some reps. Yeah, it's it. You know, I, I was mentioning on last night's podcast that I've been told by numerous different people. You know, there's going to be a lot of twelve personnel and, like you mentioned, even thirteen personnel. So mm. I, I I I'm curious when the Rams are in the red zone. What are this what do you think they are going to look like? Because say what you will about Josh Reynolds. One of the things that that he was drafted for is his ability to sure. jump up and, and and get a ball at its highest point. That that's why they got him. Uh, Cooper Cup is as precise of a route runner as you could ask for. Uh, coming out of college, and that's going to do wonders, especially down in the red zone where a simple mistake can can be six. Um, you know, you got Robert Woods, who's a crafty veteran possession guy, and then you've also got the tight ends. Are is this a year where we see guys like Hemingway and 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 Higby? you know, have maybe not necessarily huge yardage totals, four or 500 yards, but a, a, a higher touchdown count, maybe eight, nine to even 10 touchdowns. No, I mean, they're going to be relying on those guys. You look at the tight end depth chart and you've got, you know, Everett rookie, Hemingway, a second-year player who basically didn't play on offense last year. Higby, second-year player, you know, who, like we said, was injured half the year last year and was only productive maybe three games. Um, and a, a UDFA from Utah, Travis Wilson. Corey Harkey, who may be on his way out considering they drafted a fullback. Um, you know, there is all kinds of opportunity for these young guys, and there's really no way until we get to camp or at least through uh, OTAs to really see which of these guys is ready to do it. I mean, you can speculate all you want, but, you know, we're going to have to see. And then, you know, 
you know, the same stuff that we talked about in the receiving. When I, when I see Josh Reynolds, I see a guy who, like you said, is really good in the red zone, who's really good in open space, you know, kind of a big play guy. I wonder about his um, size. He seems kind of thin and maybe easy yeah. to aim <laughs> from bigger NFL backs. So, you know, it may take him some time. He's less than 200 pounds. I weigh more than Josh Reynolds. So you're going to need to get, um, you know, he's going to need to fill out a little bit more maybe until you can really rely on him. We'll see what that looks like. Um, so, and then, you know, obviously Cooper Cup, man. I mean, that's, that's it was the stuff he gave us on draft day when he got drafted and the, the self-belief um, and uh, the talent um, and the production was through the roof and, and we'll see if it can translate. Certainly that's going to be the guy they're looking at in the slot to move the chains on third down. He's going to be the guy that they're, they really can rely on. Not so, you know, with his hands, with his body, but with his head, you know, that's going to be somebody who's going to be, um, you know, hopefully on the same page as Jared Goff and making the right reads and being in the right place and running the right routes. Cause that's, you know, that's what they've needed. That's a lot of what they've lacked in key spots. And, and you know, and I'll move it over to Myson after this, but one of the things that Robert Woods did well was run routes when he was at USC. He was, he was a, he, you know, he kept his head down, he learned his routes, and he ran them well. And that ultimately is what ended up getting him the separation. Like, he's not, Robert Woods was no more nowhere near as dynamic as some of the, the playmakers that came out of Sarah after him. Like, I, you and I both know that, Joe, like, having covered SC. Like, mm. you look back on those <laughs> you look back on those Sarah playmakers and you're like, man, hard to think that this somehow started with Robert Woods. Um, but... That's <laughs> rough. Robert had a good career. He did. That's the thing. That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to say here, is that through I mean, all whatever happened that, to George Farmer? Anyway, he, don't he, mean to hijack it. Through all of that, he he managed to to find a way to stick around, to succeed, to excel, and now he has a chance with Cooper Cup to be those guys that hey, if you fear nothing else, if you if you don't fear Todd Gurley, if you don't fear the two tight ends. Uh, busted up the scene. If you don't fear Josh Reynolds high-pointing the ball, you have two route runners that are going... One of them is going to be on a mismatch. And that's... If Jared Goff can put it on the money, that's going to extend the change. Because one of those guys is going to have a horrific mismatch. And the smart quarterback exploits it all day. Sure. I mean, that's what this whole offense is predicated on is finding the mismatch. I mean, that's NFL football and, you know, that's what they're trying to create is a, is a skill group that can, you know, that can create mismatches. And that's why I thought they would go after somebody like Jared Everett, Gerald Everett in the first, you know, couple picks. And, um, and we'll see that there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but you know, that's, you know, that's what the end product whenever they get there is going to look like. Yeah, I like where they're headed. Yeah, uh, which which you got? Pieces. You know, I 
I'm gonna be the first to to tell anyone I'm not crazy about Robert Woods. You know, I just I don't think he brings all that much to the table. I certainly am not crazy about the contract they gave him. I thought that they uh they yeah. probably overpaid. Um but I do like as Josh mentioned, you know, his route running. Um I think he's gonna bring, you know, some smart route running in. When you add in the fact that they did get Cooper Cup, you know, it brings in, you know, a piece of mind that you're gonna have some guys that's gonna be in the right place at the right time. And if you're playing against a team that plays zone, for example, the Rams are probably going to have their best games in, uh, in, as far as passing, probably going to have their best games against teams that play zone because when you have good route runners, that's when they really are at their best, when they can sit sit the route down somewhere. So I, I think in that regard, you're, you have to be pretty comfortable with having two savvy route runners that, that you're going to have on the field. But then, you know, you go back to this Josh Reynolds pick. Like, we were we mentioned it last night. Like, we're both, Josh and I both are a huge fan of that, that pick. You know, um, I personally thought he was a steal. I thought he could have went much earlier, uh, probably in the middle of the third round, somewhere around there. You know, so for him to slide down there to where he did. And this this draft, you know, was something that, I think was pretty much expected. You're going to see a lot of guys sliding because there was so much depth. Everyone can't go in round one or two or whatever it may be. Guys are going to slide, you know, um, because there was just so many pieces that was, it was a really, really loaded draft, you know, um, especially at the skill positions on both offense and defense. So when you look at Josh Reynolds, you know, it's, it's hard for me to believe that the receiving pecking order is going to be Tavon Austin, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, and that's it. I really think that when you get past those first two slots, whoever it may be, because I don't even think it's a guarantee that uh, the first two are going to be locked in. You know, um, yeah, the money says that Tavon Austin and Robert Woods are going to be locked in as one and two, but uh, or whichever way you want to put them, whatever order. But I'm not convinced that it would be. Um, I think you know if one of these young guys steps up. They could very well, you know, steal some time, especially on the outside. But when you look at Josh Reynolds and you look at Cooper Cup, I think there's there's a legit case to be made that Josh Reynolds could really, really come in and take a lot of those reps with Cooper Cup. And uh, if that's the case, you know, that brings in a whole other dynamic, you know, to this offense that I think really, really would help the offense, considering Josh Reynolds is a guy that can go up and get the ball. And you mentioned, you know, the way they drafted of getting, you know, two receivers in the tight end, kind of filling those slots. One person that I actually compare Josh Reynolds to is Kenny Britt, coincidentally, because of not not the size, you know, they're the same height, but body mass wise, you know, Kenny Britt is has about almost 30 pounds, you know, um, but the way they mm-hmm. play, you know, Kenny Britt, you look at his size, you don't really expect him to be the deep threat that he is, but he's a legitimate deep threat that can really get you deep and track the ball. But then he also mm-hmm. can go over the middle and make the tough catch and absorb the hit, you know, and get right back up. And that's who Josh Reynolds is. He's a guy who's going to go deep. He's going to track the ball. He's going to go over the middle. He's making make tough catches regularly. You know, so when you add in that dimension plus the – uh, plus the, the smart route running that you get with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, I think that they have a good amount of balance there. Uh, I guess my question becomes is how, how, how long or how far along into the season, if it even happens this season, does it begin to click that way? Because, you know, theoretically this all makes sense, but we are again talking about a very, very young receiver core who, who lacks a savvy veteran, you know? So 
where, 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 where does this begin to click? You know, if it even clicks this year, is this something that, you know, we have to wait to see really come together next year or the year after, you know, the magic year in the NFL is year three, regardless of the position. That's usually what things right. Um So what, what do you think? What do you think that we're looking at as far as a timetable before it all comes together? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking, when I'm saying Austin on the outside and, you know, Woods on the inside, you know, a cup on, the, you know, all the stuff, because they're the way that this team is going to look in week one is not the way they're going to look in December. And, um, you know, the, um, you know, it's going to take some time and, and some of these guys may pop in September and it may take some time for some of the other ones. And we, we haven't even brought up guys like Mike Thomas and Farrell Cooper. Maybe they look much better as a second year player because, you know, like we say, you know, you are who you are by, you know, year three, year four, you know, it's, it's really hard to, to kind of judge these guys on a rookie year. I mean, you know, obviously look at the quarterback, look at, Higby last year so you know I'm gonna have patience with him I'm sure a lot of Rams fans may not but um you know this is gonna be a work in progress and, and uh you know the, we'll see it's a big year for Tavon Austin man with you know, he's gonna earn the rest of that contract you know, it was, oh yeah absolutely you know, yeah I mean it's it's big time you know I mean I'm I know you mentioned earlier uh, Paul McRoberts, who, and I, I agree with you 100%. I think Paul McRoberts can really surprise some people, but another player that I'm really eyeballing, like, there's 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 a couple of guys that's kind of spattered all over the roster that I'm just like, oh, wow, you know, I think this player could really, really surprise some people this year now that they've got some experience under their belt. And just kind of sticking on the offensive side right now, there's a couple of guys on defense as well, but sticking on the offensive side, you know, Paul McRoberts, as well as Mike Thomas, um, I like them both a lot, what they can bring to the table. I think Paul McRoberts, is, he has that side, can really play on the outside, you know, uh, uh, can be sort of that that uh, that really good possession receiver that's almost like a bully on the outside. You know, he's a very physical receiver, you know. But then you look at Mike Thomas. Mm-hmm. He's very smooth, and I keep alluding to – um, when you watched him on special teams as a gunner, you know, um, one thing about being a gunner is you have to be able to beat press coverage, stack the guy, and then be just blow past everyone and get downfield, which is what you do when you're a receiver and you're running a lot of deep routes, you know, which he mm-hmm. showed he could do. He, you know, I, I, I go back to it often and it, it's, uh, against Seattle where he breaks past everyone but he drops the ball and right it's like it's like you know he he had the guys beat by 15 yards it wasn't even close you know now I can I can I can absolutely 100% excuse the drop it it was his first real game to big time game uh getting some real clock you know in a game on the offensive side outside of special teams you know so you know he's young getting the clock for the first time six round draft pick probably i wouldn't even say he's nervous i just think he's moving a thousand miles an hour you know so it happens you know but you see he's had those moments yeah Yeah, he had that you see you see the ability is there oh yeah no that's on the kick and that's you know, and that's why we throw out, you know, I, I think a lot of these rookies and a lot of these guys on this roster, you got to take the Fisher and you got to, you know, a lot of these guys, that, I'm sure that's what the coaching staff is doing. They're taking all, you know, what they've done, they're balling it into a, you know, and they're throwing it in the trash can. 
they, you know, a lot of these guys are turning over a new page and all that stuff is forgotten. And they've, you know, they've got to start from zero with a new coaching staff. So, well, that's what they know, said they were doing yeah, with the offensive no line anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I mean, just look what they're moving everyone around, get trying to get, you know, they obviously to me, you know, from receiver to offensive line and coaching staff, the, the three big issues, um, with last year and beyond, you know, last, you know, the failures of the last couple of years. And, you know, they fixed coaching staff, you know, they, they think they fixed the coaching staff, you know, they found a short term solution for the offensive line and they've done a complete overhaul of the, um, the receiving core. So those three huge issues have, you know, that they've, they've, you know, they found at least, um, in the short term, they fixed them and, and, so, well, or they've changed them. We'll see, you know, how effective those three variables are going forward. Uh, before we get you out of here, a couple last things. First, I, 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 I hate grades because. Uh, oh, don't ask me to grade these. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not. I, 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 I'm not. I'm not going to ask you to grade the draft pick. What I'm going to ask you to do is grade how well you think this team of what amounts to first time. This is the first time the Justice League of America has ever assembled, right? You know, for an NFL draft, Sneed, McVay, Phillips, LaFleur. This is the first time all those guys have gotten together. How... What type of a grade would you give them in terms of communication, understanding each other's needs, understanding team needs, and understanding where and when these guys can be got, can be had within the larger context of the draft? Well, I mean, to take that and flip it, I mean, I think we figured, you know, the draft was always going to give us a window into, you know, how they've um, you know, how they've self-scouted in this off, in this offseason. It's a window into the moves that they made in free agency and the window, it's a window into the players they chose to keep and the players they chose to jettison. It, it was obviously fascinating to the, the fact that they didn't draft an offensive lineman, the fact that they didn't draft a cornerback, um, you know, and you, you could take those, you know, as votes of confidence or incomplete grades, for those parts of the team. And I think that the other thing about the last, about the, the draft weekend, that's very interesting is when we have these interviews after, and we kind of go through pick by pick and we, we talk to, to Eden and McVay about these picks, you know, Sneak comes out and he basically mentioned, he brings in the, the coaching, you know, the, the, the coaches and who like too. And, you know, when you talk about, um, you talk about Everett, and he basically says it's a, a McVeigh pick. You talk about Johnson, he basically says it's a combination secondary um, uh, uh, and um, uh, fossil pick. You know, uh, Les Need did a lot that weekend of of saying, basically showing everybody, hey, I'm listening to the staff. I'm, it's you know, I'm drafting these players, but but you know, this is. I'm, listening to the input that my coaching staff is giving me. Um, and so it's hard to kind of figure out which picks are less picks. 
there, there, there's certain communicate, you know, that you this thing over and over again. Yeah, that's the most important thing. Here, you're it. telling us there's communication at a level that means these coaches are able to directly influence the picks. That, to me, sounds like a unit that is getting off the ground on the right foot. Yeah. You know, the, the, if you have, ever, as a Rams fan, if you have confidence in this coaching staff, and I think a lot of Rams fans do, you know, certainly in the beginning, um, you know, and, and you, the GM comes out and says, you know, I made this pick with, you know, listening to this coach. I made this pick listening to this coach and this pick, you know, that that's going to make you feel better, um, you know, about, you know, this, uh, they were up against it. That, you, know, the, to, you know, when you don't have a first round pick, you know, that you're automatically dealing with a short stack. And so when you consider, you know, certainly Rams fans watched the draft and they saw what the Chargers did, and a lot of them are like, oh, I wish we wish we did that, you know, or whoever, you know, I wish they did that. And, um, you know, but when you look at the, this is the very beginning of Sean McVay shaping this this team and into what he wants. And, and so I think if you trust Sean McVay, you got to trust these picks. you got to tr- trust what they've done. And, um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll judge them as he said, once they get on the grass, we'll judge them. They like to talk about being on the grass. We'll, we'll judge them when we get to see him on the grass. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Kip. <laughs> um, so here's the question that, you, you know, and my son and I, we both kind of agreed and, and, and there's been several guests that have come on there. Now there's mixed opinions about this. Next year's draft is expected to be, though not confirmed, because Rosen could stay, though UCLA has a pretty good track record of even early under Mora. Um, USC is always 50-50 with whether the quarterback come back, comes back or goes pro. Um, but if, if Sam come on, Darnold, those guys are Josh, gone. Just, yeah. just, just say they're gone. They're going pro. Come on. I, I would think so. I would think so. <laughs> I would honestly think so. But I thought Matt Barkley was going pro when he came back. I truly did. Like Matt, he had was Liner. like he was like thirty nine. No, Matt Barkley. He had like thirty. He was like thirty nine yeah. and seven the year before, and he's like, I'm coming back. I'm. I'm like, why? Um. But 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 anyway. Um. Where was I going with that? Sorry, I. I, anyway, I, I what? I, yeah, you're t- you're leading me into the. Yeah, he, he was getting to golf. Yeah, will, will the Rams? I, I know exactly Goff, where you're going. Yeah, if Goff has a, 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 another iffy season, and you're Sean McVay, how tempted are you? I don't. I, don't, I, I think it has to be a very unique circumstance. I mean, Jared. I don't think Sean McVay takes this job if he doesn't believe Jared Goff can be successful. So he took this job over probably the Niners job over probably some other spots. So he obviously likes, I, I, I take that. I assume that that means he, he likes what Jared Goff can bring to the table and, and believes in him event that he can help him eventually get, you know, turned into a, a good pro. Um, you look at the fact that they changed the whole coaching staff. They, you know, you had one system last year. Jared Goff's basically a rookie again in a new system. 
So no matter what happens this year, you're still talking about just one year in McVay's system. So unless they absolutely tire fire and have the first pick in the draft or the second pick in the draft and both those guys are there, that's the only situation where that's even going to be an option. So I don't think it's really, you know, I think you're talking about a minuscule situation. I, I think Jared Goff is the quarterback for this team. Too? Like, I mean, you're talking about, I, at that point, you're basically saying that you have two years to succeed or else. That's not exactly a vote of confidence for players coming in. I mean, surely there's a learning curve. And when you talk about going from one offense, especially to a West Coast offense, which is known for being a bit more complex, at least even with its terminology, one would think that the fair and righteous thing to do would be at least, and, and I've said, you know, three three years at the minimum. Like, if he has three equally bad years, I can understand not going for four. But at least three years. You've got to give the kid three years. Never mind fair and righteous. The professional, the proper way. You, you you make the you make the decision when when you've when you have all the information when you when it's you know when when the the count is in and the count there's no way you're going to know whether Jared Goff is is a good NFL quarterback by the end of this year. There's just with everything they've been through, with everything they give you know with with the you know the issues on the offensive line and you know arguably the worst re- receiving core in football. There's just you can't judge him. You, you just can't. You can't judge him now, and it's going to be hard to judge him at the end. You're certainly not going to be able to cut him at the end of the, you know, cut bait at the end of the year. So it's really not even worth kind of discussing. Jared Goff's going to be the quarterback in 2017. He's going to be the quarterback in 2018. The only thing that would open up, you know, you're talking about guys who you traded up for, you know, is is a, is a significant uh, career, you know, altering injury like RG3. So. You know, the, Jared Goff is the is the arc of this team going forward. I, just, I don't know why you I know, keep getting asked this are. question. It uh, it's just a question. You're asking it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm asking it of you because I've tried to explain. I've tried giving it to people. They don't seem to get it on Twitter, where I'm limited by 140. So I think you just, you know delivered a magnum opus right there for people who don't understand why the Rams would stick with him for several more years, even if he doesn't. He may actually be worse this year simply because be worse oh, I while... He can be worse. I, I'm saying be worse while still being better. Um, it is possible. It's, 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 it's nearly impossible to do but if any team could do it it would be the rams what i'm curious about before we get you out of here is this we talk and talk and talk about the offensive line having issues woes okay so greg robinson is being moved to right tackle uh why 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 is Rod Havenstein being moved from what seems to be a very, very natural position for him? Yeah, it surprised me. But, you know, they have to have a reason. I think what you guys brought up in the, in previous podcasts about it being, you know, one last chance for Greg, 
to flourish as a tackle because certainly he, he would be more valuable as a right tackle than a right guard. And it leaves you that, you know, mid-season kind of transition to switch the two players or, or you know, move Rob back out and bring in. You know, I, I thought it was interesting when they talked about the starting line, when they went through position by position and basically explained it, Jamon Brown got mentioned as a sixth guy. So they basically see that whole group, you know, as equal. So even though Jamon's not technically in the kind of projected starting lineup right now, because the thing, the thing about Rob and Jamon last year, obviously they both took step back in their second year as pros, but they both had injuries that really um, held back their ability to prepare for the season. Um, Rob basically started without a, you know, he, he had that foot injury that, you know, he was in no shape but to start playing. You know, he really had no offseason. And Jamon, Jamon talked about midway through the year, he talked about how, you know, it was really, um, a tr- you know, he was still coming back um, from that leg break and getting his strength back. So I think both of those players have the potential to really kind of make their second year leaps um, in their third year. So, you know, I, I, those are certainly guys that you have to include, um, you know, in that group going forward. Certainly Greg, you know, has to have, you know, show some improvement this year, um, you know, and, and he's the wild he card. He declined the option, so he, he has to or he's going to find himself really, really, really looking for unemployment. And when he finds it, they're going to tell him he's a guard that's not up for debate. Yeah, well, it's ne- never mind. You know, if he has a good year this year, it's, you're talking money. Yep. He's got to play this year because how he plays determines how much he gets paid next year, wherever he is. So sure. It's a huge year for him in extending his career and earning that contract and salvaging kind of the well, last couple of years. But, you know. Anyway. That's what I'm saying. I think if he has a bad year at right tackle, the next team that picks him up, they're going to say, you're playing guard. It's not up for debate. Like you've been tried, you've been tested as a tackle. We're buying you to move you to the interior. Like I, I, I yeah. that's. I mean, maybe maybe another team feels like they can iron it out. But usually, after four years, the NFL knows what you have in you. What? Just to follow up to that, because we talked about him on last night's podcast. Mycin really feels like Cody Wickman is is sitting there waiting in the wings. I feel like Cody Wickman is sitting there. Which one of us is closer? Is Cody Wickman a guy that you think is going to factor mm-hmm. now that the offense is is sort of changing direction? Oh, I mean, I I think you you didn't like what you, I thought. Donnell, you know, Donald Donnell, excuse me, had a better year obviously Cody had a lot of opportunity last year and by the end of the season you basically didn't see him um you know he he was a starter for you know how many games half the year so he had his big break last year and maybe it didn't turn out uh the way he wanted it um so he's you know he's I look at him and I look at the those two guys as as guys who are still kind of developing as players guys that their best are ahead of them so especially with this new I mean I think the story of the draft from the offensive line perspective is the fact that they, they obviously believe in the talent of the players they have, 
from the front to the back. You know, they believe what they've done in free agency will put them in a position this year um, to significantly improve in the short term while in buying time for these guys to improve, you know, in their second, third, fourth years as pros, you know, and really, you know, become that offensive line that grows together like they wanted to, like the whole, you know, that was the plan when they drafted all these guys together in 2014. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, um, you know, it's this is a big season for a lot of guys on the team, the guys that are left, that are holdovers. It's pretty much, you know, this is a, a, a transitional, you know, like a, um, you know, put up or shut up season for a lot of guys on this team this year. One lastly, just staying with the offensive line, there's been, well, a lot of jokes made about when, not if John Sullivan goes down. Um, mm. Tell me, just, just, just tell me that the Rams have had an off-season plan in place to ensure the durability of Sullivan throughout the season, because you know, <laughs> like you said, Pat Elfline was there. He was there for the taking, and they passed over him. So they have to believe that Sullivan can make it through a season. So tell, explain, give, give, give all of the Ramley, uh, 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 just, just some faith. Well, I mean, I think when you're talking about somebody who's in his ninth year and or you know and, and, or tenth year and has missed an entire season at you know one of the most physical positions in, in the trenches i mean you there are no guarantees in football my man so you know certainly they have you know he is plan a but you know he is not you know, they cannot that's why it was that's why i thought they were going to draft the center because i know that sean mcveigh looks at center as maybe the second most important position on the offense you know it, it, it is you know, imperative. And the thing about it, they'll have Sullivan, even if Sullivan can't play, they'll have him to kind of train, you know, these other centers. Uh, I think That's it, why I was, I was surprised really they passed on Elfline. Uh, I was so surprised. Yeah. He's, he's, he's played everywhere along that offensive, uh, uh, everywhere along the interior of that Ohio State offensive sure. line. He's one of the most intelligent guys there. He was smart enough to, to just run the entire show, and he was sitting there for the taking. And I thought, you know, you get you get this guy tutored by and mentored by uh, John Sullivan and, and maybe just a hint or two here and there from, from – Andrew Whitworth about how to interact with, with the tackle next to you. And, and you have the makings of an all world, you know, center or interior lineman. And the Rams are like, no, nah, we're going to stick with Sullivan, even though he's been injured almost always. Well, I, I think, I, well, who'd they use the foot? I think they used the pick on, um, on the receiver on the Texas A&M kid on, on Reynolds. Right. Isn't that who, who, when F line, went off the board who was the last ram pick i think it was reynolds um My they, you know he was there and it's the same thing with um yeah the, 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 you know the, there's a lot of guys that rams fans you know thought they would draft or wanted them to draft that the rams obviously chose you know the rams obviously chose everett over zay jones the rams obviously chose whether it's reynolds or whoever that fourth round pick was 
over at Elfland. They had a plan. And the thing that's really interesting, you, tomorrow we open up rookie camp. It was Cooper Cup, and, actually. And it, the Rams literally oh. chose Cooper Cup right before Elfline. Elfline went right, right after. Right after in the pick following, pick number 70. The Rams had 69. Yeah. He went at pick number 70. And there you go. Because we thought Elfline, we thought he might go there. So, um, but I, I thought the really interesting thing, seventh round, we're talking with, we were sitting there in the media room at, in Thousand Oaks in the seventh round when the Rams were about to be on the clock. And we're sitting there saying, this has got to be a center, right? It's got to be an offensive line. And I was tweeting that out. And we're, we put, you search, you know, top centers available. And they got two, two of the guys that I thought they might draft in that spot are guys they brought in as UDFAs, Jake Eldrin Camp from Washington and John Toth from Kentucky. Those guys were on the board. You know, instead of spending a seventh-round pick on those guys, they've scooped those guys up. They also got the McMe- Shaq McMeans from New Mexico State. So you, so you certainly, you know, the, the UDFAs know that there's opportunity at the center spot with the Rams. So cert- maybe not picking uh, a center in the draft. They end up, instead of one, they end up getting three. So maybe that worked out. Um, and plus, Rainey, you know, Demetrius Rainey, um, he's in the mix too. He, he, you know, this is the he he made the team last year. He got Eric Cush sent to Chicago, so you know he's shown some versatility. He could play center, he could play guard, so he's in that mix as well. Uh, certainly, this you know when, when you've got Sullivan teaching those three kids, I mean, you know, you gotta think from a Rams perspective, one of those kids is gonna pop and and be that you know, and have an opportunity to be that future center that they need. I, would, I definitely agree. I think that the John Sullivan, and, uh, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit last night, the John Sullivan uh, edition, I'm not, I'm not convinced that he's going to stay healthy because his, his injury woes have been pretty severe over the last two and a half years. Sure. Um, you know, if he does stay healthy, great. You know, that'd be amazing. That, as I put it, you know, even an injured John Sullivan is actually an upgrade. And this is, this isn't to just harp on Tim Barnes, but an injured John Sullivan, a, 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 a 60% John Sullivan is still an upgrade over Tim Barnes, you know, but because what he brings mentally. Exactly. What he brings mentally, um, not just for them, but for Jared Goff as well. You know, and Goff um, too. Good point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, what he brings for Jared Goff, the ability to to adjust protections, you know, that's that's what a center does. And that's one of the things that Jared Goff struggled with the most is being able to identify blitz and things like that. When you have a smart center, he can really communicate those things to the quarterback. So John Sullivan, you know, the way he's gonna what he's gonna bring to the table is the mental side. Um, Look at just what he the guys under him as well as golf. Just look at what John Sullivan was able to build, at least with Teddy Bridgewater in the time yeah. that he was there. You know, it gives you hope saying, okay, this is a young guy. And maybe Teddy Bridgewater was always better at diagnosing pass coverage. But you know what? It's really damn helpful to have an NFL center up there just to run run, run ideas by, you know? And um, that's that's – that's kind of how I look at this draft, and that's kind of how I look at free agency. Quality veterans in a position to tutor some really, really young and talented guys like Ewan Price, like Josh Reynolds, 
like Cooper Cup. There are, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see what Aaron Donald can can do with with Elon Price, like truthfully, like and and how big, how how. How excited are you if you're Ewan Price to learn under Aaron Donald and, and under Wade yeah. Phillips? Like, you know, like. I think Ewan Price looks at Aaron Donald as a peer. I mean, those two guys grew up together. They were high school rivals, apparently, against each other. They were teammates at Pitt. So, it, when we're talking about Donald to Price, you know, Price was talking about him like they were peers. It was great. And then, you know, so it, well, it's going to be an interesting uh, relationship there. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's in in the the beautiful part about it is is if if Ewan Price delivers on half the talent people believe he has, then then the Rams really do have an incredible one two punch with with he and Donald, and and we'll see how that that all plays out. But uh, before we let you go, uh, why don't you let the folks know uh, if. You've got anything upcoming, you know, like we always do, give you a chance to talk about stuff that you have upcoming or stuff that you did and stuff, uh, causes that you're working on or organizations that you're working with, which may have upcoming events. Floor is yours. No, just uh, follow me at DCS, Joe Curley, C-U-R-L-E-Y. And uh, we'll be out there tomorrow bringing everything we got from uh, Rookie Camp and uh, the rest of OTAs and working um, just actually filed a story for USA Today on the fight for LA on LA football. So I should say USA Today Sports Weekly. So uh, just, a, you know, the kind of contrasting the Rams and the Chargers after the draft. And uh, that should be in there a couple days, maybe about a week. And um, uh, well, I'll be working on a couple things for the star in during OTAs. But just uh, if you follow me on uh, on Twitter, you'll get everything we got. So um, I appreciate it, guys. And uh, let's get to work. The season begins now. It really does, man. And and I know I can't thank you enough, Joe. And, and you know, as soon as as soon as OTAs and such are over, and we start getting into fall camp, it's time to bring you back. If you're seriously not following Joe, I'm telling you, there are diamonds in the rough on Twitter. Just dudes that are honestly there to ask questions that get answers for fans that they didn't even know they wanted. Joe is one of those (laughs) guys. Like, there are countless times when I look at just something that Joe tweets or Joe asks, and I'm like, you know, I'm really glad he asked that. Like, because, you know, I would have never thought of that, or I was thinking about that the other day, and it's just... Joe honestly does, and I'm not going to say go out of his way, but I, I, I think that genuinely he cares about his readership and that the that relationship and the interaction between he and the reader is extraordinarily important to him. So you you get a smidge of that if you're following him, and, and I think it's worth it. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, Mason, anything last? No, no, not at all. I think you covered it all. I mean, definitely was a pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting you back here, man. Definitely, definitely looking forward to it. I can't, like I said, I can't Anytime. wait to camp. I, <laughs> I can't wait to camp. I think we're going to have some really good battles. And 
those are going to be some things that I personally look forward to getting a chance to talk to you some more about those battles in camp. Anytime, guys. I think I'm the only beat writer on the on the on the beat who doesn't have a podcast, so I'm a free agent whenever you need. It. <laughs> well, we'll just make sure that you have a uh, a monthly segment here on Turf Show Radio. Then I was going to so, say either that or we could fix that, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Don't 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 put stuff out there in the universe that you don't that you don't want coming back to you because Scott and I will show up at your door and be like, all right, so here's our plan for your new podcast. It's called this, and this is when it's going to be done. And you're going to be like, what the hell just happened? I'm going to be like, well, you said on our podcast. So yeah, like 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 they say in Talladega Nights, don't you put that evil out there, Ricky Bobby. No, yeah. periodically sounds fine. <laughs> I got enough responsibility. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Curley, Ventura County Star. Thank you so much, Joe. We will catch you next Any- time. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. And that ought to do it for us here on Turf Show Times. Mycen, any closing thoughts, man? Any, any Anything that stood out to you in particular? You know, for me, I just, I'm really looking forward to um, when we get to see these guys in pads. Um, because they're so young, and that's why. You know, it, it, it's going to really require guys stepping up. You know, that's that's the big thing that uh, I'm looking forward to is because you're going to have to see some young guys really step into some leadership roles. You know, um, yeah, that, that's just that's just the simplest truth of the matter. If, if you the know what's are funny even gonna, to me? We went in an entire that? podcast and we didn't ask him one question about Jermaine Johnson. <laughs> I think I think the simple truth of the matter is everyone has come to the, the realization Tremaine Johnson is going to be a Ram in 2017, and there's a decent chance he's going to be a Ram after that. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's kind of gotten to the point where we, you know, we realize we're now. We're just not you know, talking about because, it because we already know what's going to happen. Yeah, pretty much. Fair enough. That is fair enough. So, um, y'all, what I thought was interesting was the relationship that apparently Elon Price and Aaron Donald have getting off the ground. You know, like when yeah. he said when he said Elon was talking about Aaron like a peer, I was like, oh, Aaron will fix that as soon as you know. Yeah, he'll fix that right quick. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, Aaron will have some fun with him, I'm sure. But in in all seriousness, I do imagine that Aaron is very much looking forward to working with a guy like Ewan Price, a guy who can, you know, he can help build his own legacy by helping to develop the young man underneath him into just a stud, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, 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 that all stars and legends do is that they make people under them and around them better. And by the time they're and by the time they're done, they've left a lasting impact on the team. What's up? Well, I mean, the thing that we have to make sure that we uh, fully understand is Juan Price. He's not your everyday rookie. 
his first season at Pitt was in 2011. Okay, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it, he it's not every single you know it's not every day that you go that you get a, a a guy who's was at school for that long. So when you really look at when he got there, him and Aaron Donald go way back. <laughs> you know, this isn't this isn't a guy who you know got there Aaron Donald's last year and barely played or anything like that. No, they they they're they're the same age, <laughs> you know. They go back and they've 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 been they've they've known each other for a long time now. And then you know you th- take the things that they have in common, both being undersized undersized guys playing on the defensive line, and being very productive at rushing the passer in college, and not just rushing the passer, but then also getting in the backfield in general. You know, they both both specialized in tackles for loss. Their senior their their last years. They they were getting they were getting in backfield. They were making tackles for loss. They were getting sacks. As I as I told you, and I keep telling people, Juan Price is one of the purest, best pass rushers in the draft. Size and injuries is really what caused him to slide. This could be a legit steal, and then you're, you're teaming him up with somebody. You know, the, the, there's already the uh, word coming out of campus of how hard he works. Well, if it's, if that's halfway true, and you're putting him with a good friend of his from Kevin. So he's comfortable, you know, that takes away from the nerves and then he gets to work out with the Aaron Donald. Oh man, you could have just got yourself a major steal. So it's going to be interesting. That's why I say, I'm looking forward to guys getting in the pads because it's going to, it's going to be very telling when, uh, when the pads come out, you know, who's willing to step up around. I actually believe that Juan Price is one of the guys that's going to be interested in, not necessarily interested, but it's just gotta come natural to him to just stepping in, stepping up and you know, making plays when his number is called. Uh, I, I I he's a guy that has had some unfortunate injuries. That like the type where you are almost convinced that the football gods are telling him he's not gonna have a career. Right. Um, but then you see what he was able to overcome and how he was able to impact. And then you sit there and say, if this guy hadn't had those injuries and he were putting up this kind of production, where would he have gone? Yeah, I mean, I mean like I said, he, to, have, to have 29. Really a seventh, ra- a seventh round pick? Is he no, shooting? absolutely not. You know, he's, let's put it this way. You know, he he was able to put, he was able to put together uh, twenty nine and a half sacks. You know, which I believe tied Aaron Donald. You know, um, and he had about fifty four tackles for loss, uh, fifty three, fifty four tackles for loss. You know, the production is there, and but you look at what he did, and he did the majority of this over a two year stretch. You know, so in two you know in two years, you know he had. Over twenty tackle, or excuse me, over twenty sacks and over uh, forty tackles for loss. You know, in two years. And in his last two years, he he was averaging about twelve sacks. You know, eleven and a half yeah. in two thousand fifteen, and thirteen in two thousand sixteen. Um, look, man, those those are numbers you definitely want. Those are numbers that 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 help you win ball games, and those are numbers that when you combine them with guys like Connor Barwin, 
with guys like Aaron Donald, with guys like Robert Quinn, with, you know, so on and so forth. This is how the Rams can create pressure against opposing quarterback and put off not just in a position to win uh, uh, with with the offense like we talked about for most of the podcast, but in a position to win actually on the field of play itself. Not having, yeah, you know, to, not having to start like at your own five. You know, when we talk about is is this guy, and when I say this guy, I mean Juan Price. When we talk about is this guy, you know, a seventh round pick, and you know, was he always going to be drafted this late? I say absolutely not. The production is there, and you can talk about his size all you want. Um, Elvis Dumerville, who a lot of people have compared him to often because of the size, they're the exact same size coming out of college. Elvis Dumerville has gone on to go to uh, multiple Pro Bowls, be, t- be a two time All Pro. You know, he, he he's he's had a very successful career. Elvis Dumerville was a fourth round pick by the by the Broncos coming out of Louisville. Elvis Dumerville has a, a little over 30 sacks in his career. I can't remember what the exact number was. I'd have to look it up. It was about 33, 32, somewhere around there sacks for his uh, college career. You know, that was over the entire college career. Um, and he didn't have the as many of the uh, injuries that – uh, that um, Juan Price had, but he did suffer some injuries. You know, it wasn't as severe. You know, Juan Price was is a six year senior, but it it wasn't it wasn't as it, it wasn't as severe as uh, Juan Price. But he definitely went through an uh, uh, injury period. You know, so when you look at what the fact that Elvis Dumerville was able to be a fourth round pick, um, again, Juan Price's injuries were more severe, so he, that caused him to slide more. But I personally think that a healthy four-year stretch from a Juan Price, you're probably looking at a guy that's going to be a second round, second or third round pick. You know, so to get him in the seventh round is that's a massive steal. You know, and the only reason he's a second round pick, second or third round pick, is because of the size. If he's four inches taller and twenty pounds heavier, and he's healthy for hell three years, you're probably you're talking about a guy that's probably going in the, the first round and most likely going in the top twenty picks because there's a premium on pass rushers. You know, and that's what he's good at. He can get after the quarterback. Juan Price is a very very good addition for this team. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it's it's almost insane how some of these picks don't make sense, and yet others of these picks, uh, they leap out off the pages at you and scream, hell yes, hell yes, hell yes, competency. Um, I'm going to close out the show asking you this. How much do you think this team can improve in 2016 or 2018, 17? Whatever the year we are, man. I don't even care anymore, man. The year year of football. How much can Jared Goff improve? Jared Goff, okay. So let me clarify what you're asking here. Is it how much can he improve or how much will he improve? Because he can improve a lot. Both. Both. All right, you know, he can improve a whole lot because 
when you when you have a season that he had, you know, it's pretty much nowhere to go but up. You know, could he theoretically have a worse season? Yeah, but there's really nowhere to go but up. That's that's the first thing that we, you know you have to really take into consideration because the season was that poor for him, um, and when you take that in consideration, I think you look at it and you say, okay. If Jerry Goff can just improve a little bit, just a smidget, <laughs> you know, let's let's use Case Keenum as an example. Case Keenum, he by no stretch of the imagination was a world class quarterback, but he we was would better be than remiss him. if we didn't mention too today that the 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 Rams cut Aaron Murray, they leaving, did cut only, Aaron Murray. leaving only Sean Mannion, who I said was going to be the team's backup. I called it. Well, I mean, I think I think it'd be it would be crazy to even begin to think they're going to go into camp with two quarterbacks. They'll they'll bring someone in, but you know, when you let's use Case Keenum as an example for Jared Goff's improvement. If Jared Goff improves, you know, his game, and let's put it on a scale, you know, let's you know, you have what he was, and if he's two times that, he's a hundred percent better. So let's just say he improves his game 50%. You know, that's a guy that's probably going to give you about 60% completion percentage. And, you know, he's going to up his touchdown touchdown to interception ratio. You know, it was, I think, uh, 7 to 5. You know, he's going to take that 7 to 5 and he's going to turn it into uh, 14 to Three or the four, let's you know, we'll leave it at five, 14 to five. So, if he, you know, if he finished the season with 21 touchdowns, he'll have seven, seven or eight interceptions, something like that. You know, that would be a massive upgrade. You know, now when you're using the Case Keenum as a comparison, uh, Case Keenum was clearly a better quarterback than Jared Goff in Jared Goff's rookie season. Um, I would say. That is probably more realistic for what the for what the Rams and the fans and just LA should uh, should expect. You know, you should expect something more along the lines of what uh, of what Case Keenum gave you. However, will it be exactly Case Keenum? No, because obviously he's more physically gifted than Case Keenum. So you're gonna see uh, you're gonna see some better deep balls. You know, where whereas with Case you'd see the ball lose lose some velocity after the first 25 yards, you know, you'll see, you're going to see some, some really good passes from the kid. So if I'm, if I'm doing a direct comparison, I think, you know, to say, Oh, he's 50% better. You know, this is what you're going to get. I think that will probably be a bit of a reach because you still have to take into consideration that uh, he is, he's still adjusting a lot and he, he, he has a lot of uh, growth just from his rookie season that uh, he would have to put forth to get that to get to that point. But I think a Case Keenum type of performance, you know, maybe less interceptions you can probably expect to see. Um, but overall, I think that's what you're looking at. You know, you're looking at what Case Keenum gave. You're going to get that again. Um, what now? Case Keenum, uh, as the starter court, starting quarterback, you know, he started nine games. All four of the Rams wins came under Case Keenum. You know, so... If Case Keenum starts the full season, it's fair to wonder if the Rams win about seven games. And I think that's probably the benchmark for what you could get with Jared Goff if he improves to be on the same level as Case Keenum, which I think he probably will. Um, I think the benchmark is probably seven games. That's probably where your 
tapping out at, you know, uh, in his second season. Um, as far as a you're saying, you're saying that if the Rams are going to make a change, they're going to do it. But Game Seven will be the breaking point. If it's not done by Game Seven, it's not happening. No, no, no. I'm saying seven wins. Oh, okay. You know, okay. I'm, I'm saying seven wins is probably the the cap. You know that oh, that's okay. probably yeah, the okay. best you're going to okay. get. You know uh, that's why I use Case Keenum as an example because he played nine games. They won four. You know, if he plays the full season, we're saying that he probably there's a chance he went seven. Um, I'm saying that's if, if Jared Goff improves, you know, over his rookie season, which I think he will. I think the Rams, you know, you shouldn't expect this math jump. I think you're probably looking at him moving up a level and that next level is probably Case Keenum type of performance where he's going to get you about seven wins. You know, he's probably going to cut down on the interceptions a bit and he's going to have better throws because he's more talented. But you're going to get about seven wins. You're going to have some production along the same lines of Case Keenum. All right. I'm in with that. I'm in with that. I think um, I think it's going to take a minute for the receivers to settle in. But I don't think the adjustment period will be too terribly long because as a team, people are going to start clicking and it's all going to start clicking together when it does. That's usually how it happens. The best thing that Sean McVay and his staff can do is identify who you don't take too long. (laughs) Identify who you want to get out there and get them plenty of reps in camp and in the preseason. That is the best thing in the world to do. Don't don't let these battles stretch out too long. You know, uh, these camp wars, you know, you want to spend the first two or three weeks figuring it out. But by the middle of August, you need to really have a really legitimate idea of who you want to move forward with in this. Receiver. I understand if you have a situation like Jamon Brown versus so and so, we can't decide like. If we the need, battle is that good, if they're, putting, if they're really going at it, you know, if the battle is legitimately that good, that might you might have a you might have an argument, but you got it. You got to figure this it out sooner than later. You, you can't be Jeff up. Fisher. You can't yeah. be Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher is notorious for letting the preseason and camp and stuff just fly by and still trying to shuffle guys around by week three. You can't do that. <laughs> you no, need to yeah. know. You need to know two weeks before the kickoff of game one. Well, here's where I think the Rams will be set. I think here's where I think the Rams will be set. It's not going to take Wade Phillips and Eternity to know exactly what you just said. As a matter of fact, Wade Phillips has probably already got that idea in his head. and, and, and he just needs to see some things in camp that, that, that may change his mind. But Wade Phillips has definitely got more than 12% of the plan. You know, like he's, he's probably sitting on 80% of, of, of his defensive plan for the season with the other 20% coming uh, from injuries, you know, suspension, so on and so forth, and, and, and camp battles. But it's 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 the offense where you got to be worried about these battles. Well, maybe this guy, maybe that guy. And my philosophy is always this. If you have a veteran receiver who's doing battles, say, with a guy like Cooper Cup, 
and they're neck and neck, and it's uh, it's almost uh, it's almost opening week, and you can't figure out who to go with. The answer is Cooper Cup, because if your veteran receiver is still going neck and neck with a guy you just drafted, clearly the guy you just drafted is either ahead of schedule or has a Absolutely. ceiling as has a ceiling that is clearly much higher than the guy. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would definitely agree with where you're going on this. So um, I think it is imperative that the Rams get out there and decide some of these battles. And McVay, as a first-time head coach, cannot be afraid to make the bold decisions. Don't be afraid to play some of these rookies ahead of it. Look, man, if you're going to inject some youth into this team and make them better at a couple positions, you're going to have to shake a few trees. And, you know, if some of these, if some of the leaves that fall off it are upset, but what you end up with are playmakers who can stretch the field, then it doesn't matter. You think any Rams fans are going to listen to the one player bitching up and down about how McVay did him wrong if the Rams offense is moving up and down the field? They might not be winning every game, but they're moving up and down the field and they're having fun. No! People are going to be like, dude, shut up. Like, you must have been doing something wrong if you weren't in this offense. You know, like that. The overall goal is that these coaches, in every instance, whether it's the offensive line, the the starting receivers, the running backs, who's on special teams, and we already know that Fossil will make. He's got that on lock. So you've got defense and special teams that are on lock that you know. Those coaches already know what they need to do in 2017 to make their unit successful. Yeah, I mean... 66% of this thing is done. And now you've got McVay and McFleur who are known offensive minds. You don't know, but you can hope and you have... Even if the Rams' offense is average, this team should still be good. They should still be competitive. Yeah, I would agree. They they should be competitive because, first off, Wade Phillips is going to improve the defense. I, I'm confident in saying that. Uh, even though there's you know there's parts of it where you look at you like, man, how is he going to make this work? You know, you just kind of have to trust his track record. Now, it would be very fitting and typical of the luck of the Rams that when you get to the Rams, all of a sudden, you know, that doesn't, that's not, that's not happening. <laughs> you know, he starts to, his, his career starts to take a curve or nose dive, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I do think that the defense will be, uh, will be very solid. I personally think that um, the uh, pass rush is going to be drastically improved. And I think it's going to be because Robert Quinn is going to be healthy. People forget he's only 26 years old. You know, he came into the league very young at 20 years old. You know, um, he was one of those really, really young guys uh, after three years of college. You know, he's 26, and he has had injuries the last two years. Um, They haven't been super severe injuries where you're like, I'm not sure if he can ever come back from this, but they've been things that's held him out. 
But when healthy, as we saw last year, you know, and I like to use the Bucks game as a prime example. You know, we saw him get after Jameis Winston like no other in that game. But it's two back-to-back plays that really stood that, out to that me. That was really just like that. That was instinctual back to college. Yeah, like it was like there was two um, two back-to-back plays that really stood out to me. And it was you see uh, him get this sack, and then they call this penalty <laughs> right before half. You know, they they call this penalty, and the sack doesn't count. And you just see it on his face, like what the hell, <laughs> you know? So they, and you see him gassed because he was moving, and they was they was kind of yeah, moving. I the, remember they, they was kind of moving the ball a bit. So the defense isn't really rotating anyone. You see him gas, and he gets after Jameis Winston. It's like, okay, good. We slowed him down. I got the sack, and they they call the penalty. And somehow, some way, gassed and just completely just killed all momentum by calling back his sack. The very next play, he gets after Jameis and strip sacks him. Sacks him. Yep. <laughs> strip sacks him. You know. That is that is typical Robert Quinn, and that's what he was able to do healthy. And he was doing this in multiple games when healthy, just the rush was there. But then, of course, you know, you, the, the injuries came, and then the, uh, the, the hospital scare where they thought it was a seizure that turned out to be dehydration, but then a concussion. That really derailed his season for a second year in a row. But like I said, the injuries, none of them were – you know, oh, how can he come back from this? You know, that was never the case. What you know, he that's needs is a, a small change in regimen to improve the overall durability of him. You know, it could be a change in, in what he eats to ensure his body's integrity. But I'm but, not sure if that's the case because of the, the what the injuries were. And that's why I say because they're not, you know, how can well, he come back to this? Clue. You know, it's not an Achilles tear. You know, he didn't tear his ACL or, you know, it's, none, it's nothing like that. He didn't go out and break his form. You know, it, it's none of those things. So that's why I say when I look at it, I say he's fully healthy. He didn't play the last five games of the season. There is nothing wrong with him right now. <laughs> he's coming in fully healthy. If he remains healthy, I, 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 I find it to be interesting how many, how many fans have thrown in the towel and media outlets just completely ignore the pass rusher that he is. You know, it's it's like, oh, you know, he's, they. it's almost like they act like he's, you know, I think because he's been in the league for six years, people, and he he looks older. He, I mean, Robert Quinn looks like somebody's uncle, <laughs> you know, but right. he's only 26 years old. He's in the prime of his career right now. That's the interesting thing about it. A healthy Robert Dude, Quinn is like going to great. Rob. Dude looks like Sean <laughs> Robinson and such. Like, just yeah. Are you, what do you mean you're 22? You're 32. Look, Robert Quinn is younger than me. <laughs> he, you know, I, I, I really believe he's going to come into this season healthy, and I think that they're gonna, the Rams are going to show some sparks with this pass rush. You know, Aaron Donald looked like an above-average player last year. Now that says a lot because you he was triple team, so. That shows you how good he is. But when you get a healthy Robert Quinn and then you got Aaron Donald, I think these young pass rushers are going to really have a field. Don't forget about the fact that they've got outside backers like Connor Barwin and such and that Wade Phillips is really creative with his cornerback blitzes and they do have speed at the edges. 
if nothing else, they've got a lot of speed at the cornerback position. Well, Marcus Joyner can get after it. I know Nickel Roby can get after it. So they have the ability to disguise a lot of their blitz packages and their fronts and their front seven schemes. Uh, I, I, I think that Wade Phillips is, is going to... I'm not saying he's going to carve out a masterpiece, but I definitely think it's going to be a glorious, uh, uh, a glorious sight to behold, given all the elements available to him. I think that the guys who are going to benefit the most from it are going to be these young bucks, <laughs> you know. And let's let's not forget that you know. Um, they have uh, what is his name? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name. I drew a blank here for a second. <laughs> what is, well, I think we've both been drawing blanks tonight for some odd reason. Well, <laughs> it's yeah, just a, yeah, tell me a position. <laughs> defensive end, Dominique. Uh, Dominic Easley. Yes, for some reason I can't want to say Dominique Westbrook. I was trying to merge him and Ethan for some reason, but <laughs> you know you got Dominique Easley and Dominique Easley. He's a very good pass rusher, and for him to only play, I think, about 300 snaps, he got after the quarterback last year. You know, so he, I think he's going to probably end up being the person who's starting at the other defensive end position, and it's 3-4. So the, the Rams are really, really going to be looking really good. And I think these young guys like Juan Price and even who I question a lot, Simpson, Ibokum, I think that they're going to really be able to benefit from the attention that these vets, Connor Barwin, Dominique Easley, Aaron Donald, uh, Robert Quinn, the attention they're going to draw. And then Especially you have Michael Rogers eating up double teams. Up. Yeah, they're going to really, they're going to really get after him. So don't be surprised as, the, as we say, the game is won in the trenches. Don't be surprised if the Rams look like the Rams a few years ago, where they were getting after teams. And they were keeping the offense in games. You know, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Fair enough. Great points. And with that, we're going to go ahead and bring the show to a close. You can find our producer on Twitter at Sports Speaks. Mycin is on Twitter at Mighty or Mycin. M I S O N E. That's how you spell his name. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. Most importantly, the mothership, the site, Turf Show Times can be found on Twitter at check this out, Turf Show Times. Um, you can also find us on Facebook where we do plenty of uh, Facebook live chats, so on and so forth. So, uh, we look forward to having uh, more guests on in the future. Uh, we meant to do this yesterday, but things didn't work out, so we had to push it to today. Our apologies, and our apologies that we ran for two hours. But you know what? Hey, a double dose of Rams football is never a bad thing. So keep sending in those questions, and we'll be sure to ask them to the guests. You guys have a great night, and we will catch you next time here on SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams, Turf Show Time.
My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.